So the first, the first guardrail here is that hell exists. That's really clear. Jesus couldn't be clearer. He first told a parable, and then his disciples asked him to explain the parable. And in his explanation of the parable, he said, there will be grinding and wailing of teeth. They will be burned up. The, weed, the weeds will be burned up at the end of time. So it's not a, he's not talking, he's not given a parable when he's saying that. He already gave the parable, and now he's explaining the parable. So that's really clear. So eternity, eternal life, this is a focus. But then at the same time, on the other hand, there is a focus for us today on our life, on our time here on earth. And it's, so it's important, it's important to do our duties and obligations here. Those of raising, our ki- raising your kids, raising our kids, doing our duties and responsibilities, building our community, strengthening society. And sometimes that means correcting, correcting others. Right? And the, the tradition is clear on that as well. So there is this difficult tension. You know, somehow we have to exist in, in between these two guardrails and receive our Lord's explanation here within, within, within that, within those. So I'm going to propose a couple of points of how we can do that. The first is a, fo- is a focus on the eternal perspective, a focus on eternal life. Now we heard in the first reading from the Book of Wisdom, and of course Solomon wrote, wrote that book, and so he's sharing his, his own wisdom that he's received. The, the exaltation to, to the, the focus on Jesus's, on Jesus's mercy, on Jesus's permission for repentance. I'll just read here what was before the reading from today. So Solomon says, Therefore you, re- you rebuke offenders little by little, warn them and remind them of the sins they are committing, that they may abandon their wickedness and believe in you, Lord. For truly the ancient inhabitants of your holy land, whom you hated for deeds most odious, works of sorcery and impious sacrifices, these merciless murderers of children, does that, does that sound familiar? These merciless murderers of children, devourers of human flesh, and initiates engaged in a blood ritual, and parents who took with their own hands defenseless lives, you willed to destroy by the hands of our ancestors that the land that is dearest to all of you might receive a worthy colony of God's servants. But even these you spared, since they were but mortals, and sent wasps as forerunners of your army, that they might exterminate them by decrees, by degrees. So Solomon here is speaking of the Canaanites that were doing these horrible things. And he's expressing here how God even was, merc- was most merciful towards them. Not that he gave them eternal life in heaven, but rather that he allowed them plenty of time, ample time to repent. And how much time? Hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. One way for us to enter into this ourselves is to see the bigger picture of Solomon's journey, of his own transformation, his own, his own conversion over time. And there are these four books in the Old Testament that form the canonical Solomon, so to speak, the book of Proverbs, of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, and finally the book of Wisdom. So we're hearing this basically the, at the end of Solomon's journey. 
where he is, where he's received all, all of the wisdom. And so in the first book, he, he attains wisdom, but it's wisdom for temporal success. In the second book, in Ecclesiastes, he despairs of that temporal success because he realizes that death is going to render everything vain. All of the temporal success is going to end, including his own. So he despairs of that temporal success. Then in the Song of Songs, he discovers that love is stronger than death. So he sees that even though all, he is going to die and everyone that he loves is going to die, love is even stronger than death. And so now, now finally in the Book of Wisdom, he falls in love with Lady Wisdom herself. And so he attains immortality. So we can see ourselves somewhere along that journey with Solomon. And if we're focusing too heavily on temporal success, well, that, that's okay, but that's just the beginning of our journey. We want to go through that and even despairing of temporal success to eventually falling in love with love itself, with love himself, and with Lady Wisdom. And that's, our immort- that's the source of our immortality. And temporal success, just to be clear, doesn't just mean financial prosperity, right? Temporal success is everything here in the temporal order, including the thriving of our families, of our communities, of our, of our society. So yes, we do our duties and obligations for these things, but we want to be careful with not having that as the end goal, not becoming too attached to that. Sure, we, we strive towards it, but even that is going to end. So we don't want to be too attached to it. We want to go through it and fall in love with God himself. And that becomes a source of our immortality. Okay, that's the first point. The second was shared by way of a movie. So a few weeks ago, last time I was here at this 8 a.m. Mass, I talked about the movie Taken. And I haven't talked about a movie in homily since then. So you may think that I talk about movies every homily, but that's not true. This is my second time in in three weeks. And this movie is the movie I Am Legend. So from 2007 with Will Smith. And that's actually a a rendition, a movie rendition of a book by the same title from 1954. And I discovered that there have been several depictions of this movie, since, or of this book, since then. I Am Legend is, is just the most recent one. And they all take a little different, uh, slightly different takes on, on the book and different emphases. But the, book, the way the movie is told, I'll focus on the movie, is this character, Robert Neville, played by Will Smith, in this post-apocalyptic time in New York City. And what happens in the opening of the, of the movie, we see that there's an interview with a doctor, with a scientist. Her, her last name is Crippen. And she is sharing with the, with the interviewer and with the world that she has discovered basically the, the cure to cancer. She has manipulated the virus, a virus, the measles virus, in a way to attack cancer itself. And with 100% success rate. And so in this interview, the end of the interview, the, the reporter asks, so, so you've cured cancer? And she says, yes, yes, we have. And we know right away that this is going to turn south very, very quickly. It's a very eerie interview. And so what happens, as we discover very quickly, is that these, these folks who were cured of their cancer quickly became 
zombies or vampires and, and went off and, and went, went off turning the, the rest of humanity into the same type of creature. And so this is the setting of the movie. So now Robert Neville is alone and he's kind of a superhero character. He's, he's an army veteran and he's, he's kind of a Navy SEAL in his physical condition and with weapons and all the rest. But then in addition to that, he's also a top-rated doctor and scientist. And so he, you know, he scored really high in his ACTs and SATs. And he is both surviving, trying to survive and gathering supplies in the city. And we find out that he can only go out during the day because the zombies can't come out during the day. So he goes out during the day and comes back to his fort, to his apartment, which is fortified, and the zombies come out at night. Well, not only is he surviving, he's also trying to find a cure. And so he's running all these experiments on these rats. And he finally gets to a point where he thinks that he has, he has, he's ready for human trials. And so he goes out and captures one of the zombies by a booby trap that he sets up. So he captures one of them and brings, brings her back. We find out it's a woman, a female zombie, brings her back to his lab and starts running his experiments on her. Well, this obviously infuriates all of the zombies more than they had been already. And especially the main one, we discover there's an alpha zombie who is now coming after his, this, this woman and coming after Robert Neville. I'll fast forward to the end of the movie. Lots of, it's, a, it's a really great thriller. It's, a good, it's an exciting movie, but I'll fast forward to the end. And again, spoiler alert, I don't feel, I don't feel bad again. This has been out for 16 years. You've had your chance. But at the end of the movie, there is this scene where the zombies have discovered where he is, and he's now, there's now a, a woman and a son with him that they found him, the, a, a non-contaminated woman and a son. They found Robert Neville, so they're down there in the lab with him. But the zombies have discovered where he is, and they've broken through, and so now they're at the, the door, on the doorstep at the gate, of his lab, and there's just this glass door, and they're, they're running into it, and they're breaking it, they're about to, they're about to break in, and presumably kill all of them, and, and, and that would be the end of the movie. Okay, but what happens instead in the movie as it was played in the theaters? Robert Neville realizes that he has, he has discovered the cure, and he can give it to the woman and, the, and her son, and keep them safe in this, in this bomb-proof hole in his lab. But he has to sacrifice himself. He has to go off with a grenade, run into the zombies, and blow all the zombies up, and he himself die in the process in order to save them. And so that's what he does. He goes out and saves, saves everyone by doing that. And the movie ends with the, the mother and the son going off into the horizon to distribute the, the cure to the humanity. And she's narrating and she says, Dr. Robert Neville dedicated his life to the discovery of a cure and the restoration of humanity. He discovered that cure and at 8.52 he gave his life to defend it. We are his legacy. This is his legend. Light up the darkness. Okay, that's, that's pretty exciting. You know, I remember I was 
about 21 years old when I, when I saw this. And I was definitely fueled up by it. You know, yeah, I'm going to go and participate in the saving of humanity. You know, I'm going to go be like Robert Neville, be the savior and sacrifice my own life and go off and do that. Okay, there's something to that. And of course, Christ's story inspires us to do the same, to enter into his own, his own Paschal mystery, we say his own life, death, and resurrection, and to give our lives to that. There's something there, undoubtedly. But here's something interesting. That ending was not the original ending of the movie. There is a director's cut, which was the original ending, and the studio intervened because the studio didn't think that this ending would be popular, would, would be well-received by the masses. And so the studio intervened and got rid of that ending and inserted this new one of Robert Neville giving his life. And the original ending was much more faithful to the novel. And they had gone ahead and, sh- and filmed it. And so you can go online and, and watch this alternate ending, which is really the, the original ending. And here's how that ending goes. As they're in that setting, they're trapped, they can't go anywhere, and the zombies are about to break in. Robert Neville tells the girl, tells the the woman who's there with him, to open the door. Open the door, he says. And she says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm beginning to listen. She opens the door. The zombies don't rush in and kill them. He instead wheels the woman out of the the woman zombie who is strapped and unconscious on a a lab bed, on on a table, wheels her out. The zombies scare him a little bit, yell at him, but don't touch him. The alpha zombie goes over and reunites with her. Robert Neville inserts her with something which wakes her up. And so now they reunite. They have this embrace. He says, I'm sorry. Robert Neville says, I'm sorry. They yell at him again. They take the girl and run away. Go off. Remember, Taken was a story of of a father going off to rescue his daughter. That's what this movie is, only in reverse. We think the whole time Robert Neville is the hero, but he's really the one that has captured the daughter, in this case, the bride. And the bride and the groom is coming after her to rescue her. And of course, if we're following the story, as we're watching the movie and we get to this point, we realize that all along we're identifying with the main character, thinking that we're the savior, thinking that we're coming to rescue humanity, only to get to the end and realize that we are the ones ourselves who need saved. We're the ones who are the weeds, if you will. So here's how John Bergsman, theologian, makes this point in commenting on this parable not the parable of I am legend, but the parable of the weeds and the wheat from our Lord. We should also keep in mind that 
Although in this life we may complain about God's tolerance of weeds in the church, at the final judgment we may find that we ourselves were weeds, for whose conversion to wheat the Son of Man was patiently waiting. So often we are completely blind to our own sins and hypocrisy, but we see clearly that of others. So elsewhere, in Matthew 7, Jesus urges us to remove the beam from our own eye before taking the speck out of the eye of our brother. So just a a quick summary, you know, there are two ways to really face the weeds that are among us. And they're out there in our community, that's certainly true. But one is to focus on on eternal life. God is allowing the weeds and the weeds to grow up together. And he is the one that is going to separate them and, in fact, burn the weeds in the burning fire, as he says. And surely, within that, that that includes our duties and responsibilities to build up our community and to correct others when, when it's appropriate. But the second point, to not be too quick and too harsh in doing so, because we may, in fact, be the weeds. And in fact, parts of us, at least, are not parts of us in the church. I mean, parts of us individually, in each one of us. A part of me is indeed a weed. And God is allowing my wheat and my weed to grow up together. And so he's waiting for my conversion and for the conversion of each of us. So as we turn to the Eucharist, we pray again that God deliver us from eternal damnation. That's in the prayer that I'm going to pray here at the altar soon. That God deliver us from eternal damnation. That we repent of our sins. That we give thanks for his limitless love and mercy towards us. And yes, that we pray also for the repentance and salvation of our enemies. And that we receive all of this with grateful hearts.